Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Exodus 32, that's where we're going to be today. Exodus chapter 32. We're in a series called Prayers for Exodus. Uh, And in this series, we want to know God rightly so that we would pray more fervently. There's a connection between what we know of God and what we'll ask of him. There's a connection between what we believe about him and how we pray. So we want to know God rightly so that we would pray more fervently. Every week we have a prayer focus, um, and this week our prayer focus is this, that we would rest in God's timing so that we are not put to shame. That's our prayer focus today, that we would rest in God's timing so that we are not put to shame. Another way of saying that is that we would learn to wait on the Lord. And perhaps I, perhaps I should have said waiting on God's timing. Maybe, maybe next time we do this series, we'll call it that. Um, the problem now is that none of us like to wait. I mean, think about waiting in line. You know, Disney's a master of helping you not think you're waiting very long in line. You know, you're walking through this line and then you turn a corner, oh, there's another line. You know, and you, who, who likes to do that? Waiting on information about college, waiting for that next step in your life. No one likes to wait. In fact, there was a New York Times article uh, that talked about some of the complaints around waiting in various sectors of our, of our uh, world. One of them was at a Houston airport. Um, they, there were lots of complaints about baggage claim. They did some research. They found that people walked one minute from their plane to baggage claim, and then they waited there seven, and they were getting all kinds of complaints. And so their solution was they put the planes farther away. Complaints went to zero. They were walking rather than waiting. Okay, we don't mind walking. We don't like waiting. Another thing, uh, have you ever noticed when you're on an elevator or getting on an elevator, there's, there's either a mirror close by or the door is shiny so you can see yourself? That's because they were getting complaints about how long it took for an elevator to get to the floor. And they added a mirror or something shiny on the door, complaints went away. We hate waiting. Well, today in Exodus 32, we're going to see how the people of God respond when they have to wait Spoiler alert, it's not awesome, okay? Look at verse one. It says, when the people of God saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, are so grateful for your word today. Um, we, um, we're grateful that though your wrath rightly burns against us, that though, though you are justified in, in having wrath against us for our sin, that you have displayed grace to us in Jesus. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you have given us not what we deserve, but you have given us grace. And so, Lord, as we uh, gather around your word because of your grace, as we gather around your word to hear more of your good news of grace and kindness and mercy, help us see, help us see wonderful things in your word. Uh, Lord, in this passage, it's going to be easy for us to distance ourselves from these people that are, that are building golden calves because we don't believe we do that. Uh, it's going to be easy to distance us, distance ourselves from that. Um, so, Lord, would you help us see how we do what they did? Um, help us see how perhaps we're doing what they did. And then, Lord, as we see that, would you give us grace so that we might change? Give us grace that we might repent. Give us grace that we might be uh, people that are different. Uh, not because of what we've done, Lord, but because of your character and your kindness. Would you, would you work in us today? And uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, our prayer focus today is that we would rest in God's timing so that we are not put to shame. Let's catch up on the story, okay? So God's people have been delivered from Egypt. They've had bread falling every uh, six days a week, and then it's carried over to the Sabbath. So they've been provided food uh, every day since Exodus 16. Now they've come to Mount Sinai, uh, the mountain of God, and chapters 19 to 31 are basically a covenant renewal ceremony. Uh, this is renewing the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is, he is explaining it further. He's telling them what it means to be the people of God. He's telling them what they are to do as the people of God. And chapters 20 to 23, he's laying out what it means to follow him, what it means to worship him, what it means to trust him. And in chapter 24, the people say, we'll do all that you say. We'll do everything you say, the people say to God. Well, after the people agree to the terms of God's covenant, Moses goes up on the mountain and he's there for 40 days. And during that time, all of these instructions are being written down on tablets of stone. Well, meanwhile, over that 40 days, the people have been waiting at the base of the mountain. At the top of the mountain is Moses meeting with God. The mountain is circled with a cloud of fire and smoke and the ground is quaking when they hear God's voice. This morning, um, here in chapter 32, that morning they've gathered manna off the ground to eat. But after 40 days, they've grown tired of waiting on Moses and on God. And they have frustration that leads to believing lies. Look with me in verse one. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. It's been 40 days. It's been a long time. Where's Moses? Why is he not here? The people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. You see how they get frustrated with how long they're waiting. And so they go to Aaron and they say, hey, make us some gods because the God that we're worshiping, we don't know what's going on with that one. 
Life's not happening according to my timeline. Things are not working the way I think they should. God's not doing what I expect him to do, so you make us different ones. As for this Moses, so they believe another lie about God. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Now, Moses didn't do that, right? Moses was the instrument of God, but God's the one who did this. So they're believing this lie, and the lie is, and God hadn't done much for us anyway. It was Moses that did this. He's the one that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what's become of him. He's been gone 40 days. We don't know where he is. And so they have this frustration that leads to believing lies, and those lies are going to have a consequence in just a moment. Now, it would be really easy to mock these people. They're standing before the mountain of God. The visible presence of God is at the top of the mountain. The visible kindness of God was on the ground this morning. It'd be really easy for us to look at these people and go, why are you doing this? And forget that when we're frustrated, when life's not happening according to our timetable, when, when we get in that kind of moment, we, we, we can forget that we, we uh, are typically unable to see what's going on around us. You know, God, God could have been kind to us in a thousand different ways, but the one way we're expecting didn't happen, and life's horrible. And then when we're in that moment, we're not typically thinking logically. We're, we're not thinking, we're not, we're not typically leaning into facts. We're leaning into feelings. And then once that happens, we start to believe lies rather than the truth. Where's God? Why is, not, why is God not working? Why is God not doing something? And then in, chapter, in verse 2, believing lies leads to idolatry. Okay, verse 2. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. He says, look, take, take, get the gold, get the gold, bring it to me. Now, Aaron should not have been doing this. What Aaron should have done is, hey, y'all be quiet. Like, we're not making other gods here. The God, the God we follow, you see him? Like, he's, he's right there at the top of that mountain. Moses is meeting with him. I'm not making another one. That's what Aaron should have done. But Aaron's not leading well here, and so he tells the people, bring your gold. Now, two things about this gold. First, this gold was a gift from God. Do you remember when they left, left Egypt? The Egyptians just gave them gold, silver, and clothing. And so this is the gift of God they've been given. Now, in chapter 25... Moses, God tells Moses to use that gold for the work of the tabernacle. So this is the gift of God that's to be used for the glory of God, but Aaron uses it to make a false god in verse 4. It says he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Now, it's interesting to me they make a golden calf. Like this would even something like a rhinoceros or something, right? Like this, this is something you put in a petting zoo. And then they say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So notice what's happening here. Not only does Aaron take the gifts of God, meant to be used for the glory of God and make a false god, but they say that this false god is the one that delivered them. And there's something going on in their hearts because they say, these are your gods, plural, O Israel. These people that are stirring up trouble are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So they're lying about God by ascribing to this false God what God has done. And so what we see is that God got them out of Egypt, but he didn't get the Egypt out of them. 
Verse five, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Notice that Lord's all caps, that's Yahweh's covenant name. And so Aaron, Aaron sees, oh, the people are encouraged. The people are happy. And so we're gonna call this false God that I made, we're gonna call that Yahweh. We're gonna call that the God of the Bible. And so these lies lead to idolatry. They take the gifts of God meant for the glory of God and they make a false God. And then they start thinking this false God I've made has done for me what only God can do. And then they ascribe to this God the name of the God of the Bible. Now again, I know you're thinking, man, I don't have a golden calf in my house. Like I, I don't have a little statue that I've made. I, I've never, never done that. And I believe you, okay? I believe you. What we do is that when we get frustrated with God's timeline, when things are not happening the way we think they should happen, what we do very often is we start believing the lies that God doesn't care about me, God doesn't, God's not gonna take care of me. And what we are prone to do is to trust in ourselves and the gifts God has given us, these gifts that are meant to be used for the glory of God, we, we take these gifts that we've been given and we create this false God out of them. We create this false God out of them that we, are to, that we end up trusting to deliver us in some way. Rather than trust God to deliver us, we find ourselves in a moment where we think, I've got to figure this out myself. And so maybe we take money that God's given us to use for his glory. And we, we think if I just throw money at my problem, I'll be happy. Or maybe we're really good with people. Maybe we really have gifts of leadership. And so we think, man, things aren't happening. Things aren't moving the way I think they should. So I'm gonna take that gift God's given me. And instead of using that to glorify God, I'm gonna use it to help myself. And I'm gonna trust the gifts God's given me. And I'm gonna think that that's what's going to help me through this moment. We don't, build, we don't build statues, but boy, do we trust in ourselves a lot. We take the gifts of God meant to be used for the glory of God, and we turn them into something to trust in. We turn them into a false God. So frustration leads to believing in lies. Believing lies leads to idolatry. Well, idolatry leads to shame. Look at verse 7. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Now listen, if you come home and your spouse says, do you know what your kids did today? It's bad, okay? Whatever it is, it's bad. Well, that's how God's talking to Moses. Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've, they've corrupted themselves. God, God is seeing what they are doing as a significant thing. They've corrupted themselves. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They have ascribed what I did to this thing they made. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God's like, look, they've, they've stepped in at this time. I'm done with them. I'm just wiping them out. Idolatry, God views idolatry as a significant thing. 
When we trust something other than him to deliver us, when we take his gifts that are meant for his glory and we make a false God that we worship, that we ascribe what he's done to that, that's a serious thing to him. In fact, in verse 21, he calls it a great sin. That word great sin is actually used to describe adultery throughout the Old Testament. So in God's, in God's perspective, idolatry is adultery. Idolatry is unfaithfulness. The people of God have said yes to God in chapter 24. Now, not 40 days, less than 40 days later, they're saying yes to something else. They're being unfaithful. So in God's, in God's heart, idolatry is not simply breaking a rule, though they've broken the first three commandments. It's not simply breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. And so it is a great sin that they have committed. It's a great sin that we commit when we trust something other than God to deliver us. And so Moses stands before God for the people, verse 11, and says, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Notice what Moses is doing. He's saying to God, look, they deserve it. They stepped in it. But God, remember your character. Remember your promise. Remember your purposes. God, remember these things. Moses is standing before God. And remember, he's standing on a mountain with a, with a, a cloud of fire and smoke circling this mountain. The ground quakes when God speaks. So this isn't like he's having a cup of coffee across a table. Like this, this is a significant moment. And he says, God, remember he stands before God for the people. He does what Jesus does from the cross. As God's wrath rightly burns against sinners, Jesus dies in our place to take away the wrath of God so that we can get grace. And so Moses implores God. Verse 14, it says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, a lot of ink has been written about that verse. What does it mean for God to relent? Does it mean God was wrong? Does it mean God changed? A couple things. First, um, there's nothing in this that says God's character or God's essence changed in any way. Second, from Moses' perspective, God was, God was pretty angry at the people. And now... And now uh, because Moses stood in the gap for the people, God seems to have changed his plan of executing judgment on the people. But when it says he relented, it does not mean that God was doing something wrong or that his character changed. And so what we see here is that uh, idolatry leads to shame every time. Anytime we take the gifts of God meant to be used for the glory of God, to make a false God that we trust in, every time that's going to lead to shame every time. And then we see idolatry must be confronted. Look at verse 15. 
It says, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back. They were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Then Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. He said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. They were having a worship service around this golden calf. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. The people had broken covenant with idolatry. Moses breaks the tablets as a symbol that they had broken covenant. Then he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses, Moses stands before God for the people. Then he stands before the people for God. He, he, his, his anger is burning hot. He sees that the people have done a, a heinous, so sorry, the people have done a heinous thing. They have sinned against God. And Moses is angry with them for their sin. He confronts them in their sin. And then he confronts the leader in verse one. He confronts Aaron. Moses was on the mountain. Aaron was the leader during this time. Moses said to Aaron in verse 21, what did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? You know, you can imagine Aaron saying, man, they had my kids. Like they had a gun to my head. They, they were torturing me. None of that was going on. Verse 22, and Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. Man, Aaron is all victim here, okay? You know the people. It's their fault. They're, they're set on evil. It's not my fault, Moses. It's the people. Verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before, go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So it's the people's fault. And Moses, you were gone a long time. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this cow. I'm not, I'm a victim, Moses. I'm a victim. Well, well, Moses is, uh, Moses is done. Like just done. Verse 25, he says, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, he's, he's done. And what, what I want us to see here is that Moses loves Aaron and Moses loves the people so much that he's willing to confront their idolatry. He's not soft-pedaling this. He's confronting what they've done. Because idolatry must be confronted. And this idolatry that led to so much shame now leads to a lot of suffering. Moses says in verse 26, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on the side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Scholars suggest that these 3,000 men were the ones who were stirring up all this at the beginning of the chapter. 3,000 out of 600,000. Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much to spread disobedience and disorder in God's people. Doesn't take much to spread divisiveness and, and all that nonsense in God's people. Doesn't take much. 3,000 out of 600,000 men.
Their idolatry led to shame for all the people, led to suffering for them. Every time we take the gifts of God and use it for the, that's supposed to be used for the glory of God to make a false God, every time there's going to be shame, there's going to be suffering. Every single time. And so idolatry must be confronted. Idolatry must also be forgiven. Look at verse 30. It says, The next day Moses said to the people, You've sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. He, I mean, he's not, he's not soft-pedaling this at all. He's not hiding. He's not blaming. This people have sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, this is Moses standing before God again for the people. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you've written. Now, this story is going to continue to next week in chapters 33 and 34. But what Moses is doing is Moses is standing before God for the people. He's representing the people to God. He says, look, what they've done is horrible. What they've done is a great sin. What they've done is wrong. And if you won't forgive them, don't forgive me. Moses stands as their substitute. Moses stands as their advocate. And the good news of the gospel is that though we have committed great sin, we have a great Savior who stands in our place as our advocate. And though we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we can get grace from God because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died in our place. Frustration leads to believing lies. Believing lies leads to idolatry. Idolatry leads to shame and suffering. This idolatry must be confronted. It must be forgiven. And so how do we apply this? How do we apply a chapter like this into our lives? One thing. If we're going to learn to rest in God's timing, we've got to learn to wait. We've got to learn to wait. And I hate waiting. I hate it. Now, you know, waiting in line, that's not a big deal. I mean, it's kind of a normal thing that we do. Um, there's some things that are pretty significant that we wait on. Waiting for a spouse. Waiting for children. Waiting for a job opportunity. Waiting for that sale to go through so that you can have an income. There's some things that feel very significant because they are. And in those moments, we might be tempted... Instead of waiting on the Lord and resting in his timing, we might be tempted to take matters in our own hands and use some of the gifts God's given us that are meant to be used for the glory of God. And we, we take these gifts that are meant for the glory of God and we, we construct something to trust in, which really means we're trusting in ourselves. And rather than trust in the God who can deliver us, we trust in the God that we've created to deliver us. Because we're not willing to wait on the Lord. We're not willing to wait on him. And all of that here in chapter 32 leads to great shame and leads to great suffering. There were consequences 
for their idolatry. And any time, any time we take the gifts of God that are meant to be used for the glory of God and we create a false God, every time that happens, there's always going to be shame. There's always going to be suffering. Every single time. You are not the exception to that rule. Every single time you take the gifts of God meant for the glory of God and make a false God, there will be shame and suffering every single time. And so as we live in this world where life doesn't always happen according to our timetable, where life doesn't always go according to our script, where we have to trust God and release control to him, we've got to learn to wait. Really, we have two options. We can trust ourselves or we can trust God. And if we trust ourselves, that will always end in shame and suffering. If we trust God, that will always lead in ultimate deliverance. And so, as I deal with moments in my life when I have to trust God with timing or what's next or whatever, there's a verse from Psalm 25 that I try to just put on repeat in my mind and heart. It's going to be on the screen. It says this, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. So this verse gives us two kind of two choices, two ways to live. We can wait, and it says none who wait shall be put to shame. None. Those who wait on the Lord will, they shall not be put to shame. So that's one way to live. We can rest in God's timing. We can wait on the Lord. The other has a different set of consequences. It says they shall be ashamed. So this is a promise. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Now, that wantonly treacherous word is a word that shows up a lot in the book of Hosea. If you don't know the book of Hosea, it's, a, it's an incredibly painful story about a man who uh, marries this woman named uh, Gomer. She uh, is married to him, but then she goes out and she becomes a prostitute and starts selling herself to all these other people. God tells this man, you go buy her back and you take her as your husband. Throughout the book of Hosea, this phrase wantonly treacherous, this word wantonly treacherous is translated as unfaithful. And so when we trust the Lord, we wait on the Lord. When we're faithful to the Lord, we wait on the Lord. When we don't trust the Lord, when we're unfaithful to him, we are wantonly treacherous. And it tells us, this verse tells us, that we will be ashamed. When we take the gifts of God meant for the glory of God and create a false God, every single time there will be shame and suffering. And so God offers, us, God offers us another way. He offers us the way of waiting, the way of trusting, the way of faithfulness, where we say to God, God, you alone are my God. You alone have delivered me. You alone have shown me grace. You alone know what's best. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust you 
I'm going to wait. And when we do that, we will not be put to shame. And so I don't know what you're waiting on today. It could be something small, like for me to be done. It could be, uh, could be something significant, right? It could be something significant. Whatever it is you're waiting on, you must trust the Lord. That's the only way. That's the only way to find life and joy and peace is to trust him and to wait on him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you're a trustworthy God. You were trustworthy in Exodus 32. You're trustworthy today. Help us trust you, Lord. Help us trust you. Lord, you know every story in this room. You know every heart in this room. You know every, every fear, every worry, every piece of anxiety around control or around the future or around a choice. You know every heart and story in this room. And so, Lord, would you work as only you can to remind us of what your word says and to show us how we need to follow you in faithfulness? Would you do that, Lord, for your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.